What's up, guys? Cameron here. Hey, I'm Aaron. This is Matt. First off, we all seem to be drinking something. I'm having a cane break beer. What are y'all having? Matt, you seem oh, to having some type I'm of tequila. It, no, no, it's brandy. Trader Joe's bourbon <laughs> on the rocks. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. Just down to business. Aaron, what did um, you get from the kitchen just now? Mm, I'm drinking athletic beer. <laughs> athletic beer. Why did you go, mm, mm, like shake your head weird? Because it's non-alcoholic and uh, it's not real. So I'm, oh, I'm a little, okay. little shy to say it. But the <laughs> reason why I'm doing that is because I'm on... It's a school um, it's not the school night issue. I'm, I'm just sort of holding back on alcohol for a bit. I feel like did you have one too many recently? No, you know, I just I feel like it it makes me less productive the next day, and I've been yes. trying to be on a productivity kick. But when we podcast, I like to feel like I'm having a drink. So right. athletic yeah. beer does the trick. You like to drink beer but remain athletic. That's right. It's not a Bruce. Not <laughs> a good name. Good name. Not a brewski beer. <laughs> That's right. Not a brewski beer. So it's like a, a duels type thing. Have you have you have you never heard of athletic? I've heard of athletic only because I was just up in the Northeast recently. And well, it's I mean, like it's made in nation by storm. San Diego huh. as well. Yeah. San Diego and somewhere in Massachusetts, I think, or Connecticut, something like that. Anyway, it actually tastes. It's wait, wait, one wait. Of his are you are you doing sponsorships, athletic. Aaron? That we don't know about. <laughs> is this a plug? This is a plug. Okay, it let's had, move on. It actually tastes very good. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna say, and it's the closest thing to beer I've had that's not alcoholic. Right, let's move your side hustle over. And <laughs> I'm j- every time someone drinks a non-alcoholic beer, I just think of the scene from Wolf of Wall Street where Leonardo DiCaprio is like offering yes. Jonah Hill a beer, <laughs> and Jonah Hill just can't comprehend the idea of a non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> Well, okay, enough of that chit-chat. Let's get into it. Um, so in today's episode, we'll be revisiting the Tinseltown Thunderdome showdown, this time with movie directors of the 21st century. What we mean by that is directors whose first feature film debuted at least 2000 or later, the year 2000 or later. Um, just as a refresher, the... Tinseltown Thunderdome Showdowns are a March Madness-style tournament with only one winner. Before we actually started this show, we each picked four directors to bring to the table. That totaled 12 directors, and we narrowed it down to the top eight based on our ranking system, which I'm not really going to get into, but it's basically just an aggregate of their uh, an aggregate score of their movies. Um, do we want to just run through the directors that the twelve directors that we brought to the table, or shall we just leave that for another? Time? I say, I say, let's go yeah. over the eight. Let's go over the eight. And they're ranked the, the aggregate is of Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb scores of their top three films, which makes a difference. They're their three highest ranked, yeah. highest reviewed True. films in those two um, systems. This is the top eight yes. that came out True. after we brought twelve. To the table, and it's a round. It's a good round twelve that we brought because when when you have two thousand as a cutoff, that eliminates a lot of working directors. One other factor is each director had to have directed at least four feature films, so that narrowed the pool. We we got our uh, twelve is probably similar similar to twelve that that a lot of people would choose. Yeah, I mean, it was a real sticking point for me. I preferred three films. I felt like <laughs> there were. 
a lot of great directors out there who had three films, you know, your Jordan Peele's and Eggers and Ari Aster's. But, um, but Matt, I think you were right in saying that if we did that, there would be some pretty excellent directors that weren't included because the list was a good bit longer. Uh, so I acquiesced. Uh, yeah, and, and we have a really we solid could list. Do emerging yeah, directors with three or fewer, but that's another thing. Right. I like that. I will yeah. say the by the, then Robert Eggers will have just four, and it'll be, be so too late. So. The the one director that I wish could have been eligible who just wasn't because he didn't have enough films was Bennett Miller. That guy has only made three movies, and it is such a well, shame. We will do the emerging twenty uh, first century directors, and we can do Bennett. Yeah. So our top eight. Uh, starting from number one was Oscar Farhadi, number two, Bong Joon-ho, number three, Taika Waititi, number four, Damien Chazelle, number five, Ryan Coogler, number six, Greta Gerwig, number seven, Ryan Johnson, and number eight, Alejandra Iñárritu. Again, those were ranked based on an aggregate score of their top three movies. Let's eliminate. So four. should we just inform our yes. listeners what the top four is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's explain. Let's explain that, you know, we did this, this vote in advance that brought it from eight to four. So, you know, there were some that were unanimous, some that were a two to one uh, uh, victory. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we matched up one, eight, Two seven three six four five to see which were our last four. Yes, and our matchups after our vote, um, our matchups are um, so Oscar Farhadi won unanimously, Bong Joon Ho won unanimously, Damien Chazelle won unanimously, and then Greta Gerwig run one two to over. One. So. Over who did she go up against? Was it Ryan Coogler? As I recall, it was Taika oh, Waititi. Right, right. So yeah, she won two to one. Um, so our final four matchups are as follows: uh, Askar Fahadi versus Damien Chazelle, and then our second matchup is Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho versus Greta Gerwig. I am curious because it wasn't me who voted for Taika. And do you want to give a sort of uh, eulogy for for him as he lies bleeding on yeah, the that's ground? That's a good idea. Arena? Yeah, I think uh, uh, as the Taika supporter, um, I think there is a recency bias that plagued you two uh, lesser mortals on voting for Greta Gerwig over uh, over Taika. I think Taika's body of work is phenomenal and i think he's had some um some more hubristic work recently and also some more throwaway work recently that has maybe colored your opinions but i think taika is um i think certainly has the uh, directing chops to be phenomenal but also um, has a better body of work than greta gerwig in inclusive of his top three being better than her top three. I say that having seen one of Greta's films. So, yeah. Well, thank you for that. your opinion, With a grain Ken. of salt. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's Knuff. No, that's I need you that's to right. I mean, I understand you um, want you want the all male final four. We get that, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good. I, I mean, Taika, Taika, uh, Taika's later work has biased me against him a bit. So that's it could be, but Greta Gerwig is solid all the way through. So shall we? Shall we? Shall we begin? This on, showdown on that, of directors. On that <laughs> note, let's begin. All. all right. So let's start with, I always kind of like to leave the number one seed to last. So let's start with the Bong Joon-ho versus Greta Gerwig showdown. So number two versus whatever her seeding was. Uh, her seeding was six. six. No. Not that it really matters. But um, yeah, how do we, how do we want to start this? Does anyone have anything they would like to jump in with? These are two very different directors, I think, on on, on every level, unless I'm missing something. I mean, the the subject matter, the style, um, the type of dialogue that takes place, the, the, the milieu in which they play. Um, I think it's hard to match Gerwig with, with, with Bong. Um, I'll just start with that. Uh, so... While I've only seen one of Greta Gerwig's film films in its totality, I have seen uh, bits of Little Women, and um, and I think uh, her style is fresh. It is uh, engaging. It, it sort of really never lets you go, despite the content maybe being um, something that. You know, as a as a man, Little Women doesn't naturally call to me. There's a there's a certain. Um, I mean, it's something that I I read this the book. You know, as a child, it was required reading, and I I found it interesting. But I I didn't I wasn't able to identify with it in the same way that I think a young girl would. And yet, the way she directs it just it really doesn't let you go. Um. And in Barbie, the movie I have seen by Greta Ger- Gerwig, she does that uh, with, um, it really is too bad this isn't Greta versus Taika because they are much more similar. She does that with the same panache that Taika brings to films of that nature where there's this comedic element that is uh, dry, it's, but it's very natural feeling. And um, it, she just seems extremely relevant. She's she's extremely relevant to not just um, the political conversation and the social conversation, but to the cinematic conversation. She's doing things that are interesting in film that are drawing audiences that may otherwise not go to a cinema. That's a huge deal, and it, it's meaningful. It's it's. Um, so I can't discount that at all. If I mean Bong Joon Ho is is on another level to me. I, I don't think it's close between the two of these these directors. I think Greta's uh, amazing, and Barbie is a singular accomplishment. But when I watched Memories of Murder, I th- that film was it, I had already seen Parasite. I had already seen Snowpiercer. I knew what he could do. And Parasite had blown me away. It was this like 
brilliantly concocted film. But Memories of a Murder was on another level. It was so... Would you say uh, that's your favorite Bong Joon-ho movie? Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, the, the further I am away from that watching experience, the stronger it becomes in my memory. It's, for me, yeah. it's one, it may be in my top 25. It's That film is my favorite Bong. And one is of my it? favorite yeah. films. Yeah. I mean, I just, the more I think about it, sorry, I sound like a clone of Aaron, but that, that movie is just nearly incomparable. Yeah. I think there's something about films where the characters are, um, are distinct, but you, you're not quite sure who the main character is initially, and you're not quite sure what the story is supposed to be initially, and you're not quite sure what the tone is. I mean, it's like there's a lot of uncertainty that's purposeful in the way they've crafted the film that leads you emotionally down a path, and then there's a fork in the road, and you, you sort of go down one path and then hop, skip and jump to the other side. And then all of a sudden you, you feel like you've been thrust into this chaos. Um, and it ends with an emotional sledgehammer. That journey is, I, I felt almost changed as a person after going down through that journey. And there's only a handful of movies that have done that for me. Yeah. Um, you know, unforgiven was a little bit like that. Um, um, no country for old men was a little bit like that where it's just, you, there's this, this kind of unreliability of storytelling, uh, that is purposeful. And I, and I, it was, it was on majestic display there. And, um, when I think the movie was, and I think that's like what all the great, you know, stories are that are in the investigative genre. They're always sort of looking inside at the at the people involved as opposed to just the the mystery at hand well i and i think what aaron is describing and you're touching on cameron bong joon ho i mean the the three films i'm most familiar with i think these might be the only three i've seen uh, the three that you named aaron snowpiercer parasite and uh memories of murder like you memories of murder you kind of know roughly the landscape and the genre and the tone a little bit but with the other two it's pretty mystifying and it's like at least an hour before you even have any idea of what like where you are um and i think bong captures that so well and that's kind of how life is like i don't remember the the moment where i kind of became conscious and started remember remembering my life day by day but you at a certain point like as people i think we we kind of in childhood we're we we kind of wake up there. We've been living for several years and it seems very routine and we think we know the tone, but then a few years pass and everything shifts. And then a few more years pass, everything shifts and everything shifts completely to the point where I think probably to a person on this earth, um, an individual's life has as at least as many twists and tonal shifts as, as a Bong Joon-ho movie. And, and very few directors can, can capture that kind of crazy off, realism. Yeah. If it can, I don't know what else to call it. It's not magical realism, but just sort of crazy disoriented realism like he can. Totally. And I think just to take a step back, we, we pointed out that the way we ranked these directors is on their top three movies. So it'd probably be good to just list 
each person's top three movies. So Bong Joon-ho's top three movies are Parasite at number one, Mother at number two. Oh, I'm sorry. Memories of Murder is his number two movie. And then Mother is number three, which, um, as you've both just pointed out, you have not seen seen Mother, correct? Well, definitely recommend, but we'll just leave that out for right now because I don't want to spoil that. Um, Amazing movie. I would also highly recommend um, The Host. It is so awesome. Yeah, it is probably the most different of his movies um, in the sense that it's the most genre pick that he has um it's basically a straightforward monster movie but it does of course have a ton of character involved um but it's the most genre of all of his work i also really recommend okja even though it kind of got slandered um really really good um and then greta's top three movies are at number one actually tied for number one is Lady Bird and Little Women. And then Barbie is number three. She actually has a fourth yeah. movie that she That's directed. She, or she yeah. co-directed. I've never seen them. I've never even heard of it. It's called Nights and Weekends. I've not seen it and had not heard of it. I just knew that she had a movie before Lady Bird. But she's in, she plays the title character in Frances Ha, but she didn't direct it. Right. Francis Hall is a Bombback movie, right? Yeah, I, I think that's how they Pretty sure that's Noah Bombback. Because they, they, well, maybe yeah, they met yeah. before that. They co-wrote it, so, yeah. Now, Matt, have you seen Lady Bird yes. and Little Women? I have not seen Little Women. Okay. I'm very familiar with the story, but I, I haven't not seen an adaptation. I, I have to admit, um, for these types of adaptations, I don't go out of my way. Um, maybe I will sometimes see it, but I heard it was solid. But you have seen Lady Bird. I've definitely seen Lady Bird, yeah. Yeah. I thought Lady Bird was yeah. phenomenal. I was, uh, as I've said on this podcast before, I'm a sucker for coming of age, but it's been a long time since I'd seen a coming of age movie that felt fresh and new and like had something different to say. It was, of course, just like staring us in the face that it was the relationship between a mother and her daughter given the fact that most of Hollywood movies are male-dominated. It wasn't, like, a crazy, unique idea. It was just one that had not been focused on. Aaron, you got to you gotta get on to Lady Bird and Little Women as soon as you can because it, it's they're really, really solid movies. Yeah, I, I want to watch them. Um, I'm tempted to, um, to watch them pretty immediately. Uh, Barbie was, was awesome. Uh, I do think... Um, Barbie's the weakest of those three, just FYI. Like, no, I, I would say I, by I a lot. It. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Uh, just based on on the content and the reviews I've read and things that you've said, um, Barbie's is, I think more of a, a fun cinematic film than yeah, a deep uh, sort of hard hitting film. But um, uh, I think Greta's ceiling is maybe interesting to think about too in terms like Bong Joon-ho's ceiling um, one it's not a criticism necessarily but one thing to consider is that my favorite film by this renowned director is one of his first whereas 
you know, here we are many movies later and yes, he's made Parasite, which I think is astoundingly good, but not as good as Memories of Murder. Um, it, it does, you know, maybe not beg the question, but but raise the question of, well, what is his ceiling? Has he has he sort of made the best films already? And are we going to see just a, you know, a, a series of films that don't top his previous work? Or is he going to find new heights? And I don't know the answer to that, but I do feel like Greta Gerwig has a lot more that she wants to say and might top herself a few times over. I I would frame it a bit differently. I agree. I don't think Bong Joon-ho has hit his ceiling. First of all, I just want to, this is sort of the starting comment. Um, I think, I mean, Parasite, Memories of Murder, though, though I prefer Memories of Murder, Parasite is lights out. One of the top films of this century. I mean, the last 20 years, whatever, 23 years. Um, and, 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 you know, broke new ground as, as a non-English language best picture film. Um, just, I mean, he's still at the top of his game. I mean, he hasn't had a slump at all, I don't think. And Mickey 17, I think it's called. I mean, that, that shows a lot of promise, a lot of promise, originality. Um, but that being said, I think Greta Gerwig might only just be getting started. And I think it's possible that, you know, it, it, five films down the line, we will have at this time only seen her, like two of her top five by that time. It's just, I, I think she's got a lot of great right. films. Barbie, I thought, um, while Lady Bird to me is a better film, I think Barbie was more groundbreaking. It, she did something with that film that, blew away any expectations of what I had of what a Barbie film could be. Um, I think it was extremely relevant. It threaded a lot of needles in ways that were bold, yet billion-dollar-seeking. And, and I mean, she, she, you know, they made a ton of money while not really pulling punches. And that's that's impressive. I mean, I, I think Barbie is more yeah, impressive yeah. than Lady Bird. But Lady Bird's a better movie, just in terms of oh, what it sure. what it was yeah. culturally, and it's not it was. I mean, it's just just getting started. While I don't know whether Bong has peaked or not, um, Mickey Seventeen marrying Bong and my boy Pattinson is a dream come true. I cannot wait for it. I'm loosely familiar with the story, so I, I, I understand. No idea what I won't is. give any. Yeah. I'll give no uh, spoilers at all. But I know because I'm kind of a sci-fi reader. Uh, and it's based on a book, what what the kind of gist of the story is. And I can't wait. I cannot wait. It's, you know, I, I haven't seen um, Okja yet. I need to see it. I feel like I want to see what he can pull off English language wise. I know Snowpiercer was great, but it was sort of a diehard in the future on a train. And I want to see something a little different. I want to uh, experience. Okja is definitely different. It's his weakest film, but it's definitely different. Um, I w- I can't wait to see him in a sci-fi space, yeah. Not just sci-fi. That's like, because Snowpiercer sci-fi, but it's again. I don't know what Mickey Seventeen is to any degree, but I want it to be like hardcore sci-fi, not you know, grounded in reality. Snowpiercer, where it's like post-apocalyptic. I want to see him like out in space doing crazy shit. Um. Or even if it's not out in space, like Blade Runner type stuff. 
I would love to see that. I guess the question is, how high will the bong take us? We'll see. <laughs> okay, Should we so, vote? Do yeah, we vote, vote. Or, so who wants to who wants to vote first? I will. Yeah, I, I I think bong takes it for me. I'm gonna take a hit from the bong. Take a hit from the bong. I won't Matt. repeat the joke, but got? I yeah I I this is an easy one for me. Bong. Yeah, pass the bong over here because I'm gonna take a hit of that as well. So it's three unanimous. votes and two repeated jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so our next matchup is Askar Fahadi versus Damien Chazelle. There's a world where this would have been difficult for me, but really, okay, exp- elaborate. Well, maybe it's maybe it is difficult. I th- I think these are both great directors. I mean, their 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 movies are more wildly different from each other than the last two. Um, Chazelle's yeah, just I was about to say the same. Very music sound rhythm driven noisy visually noisy brimming with energy whereas for Hadi, it's like this thick tension that's being carefully built layer upon layer though i'm equally transfixed with both both approaches now correct me if i'm wrong but i i've only seen of farhadi's work i've only seen four of his movies and I don't remember music in any of them. Is that so? I've seen a separation about Ellie, a hero, and the salesman, and I don't remember music in any of them or score in any of them. I I, yeah, I don't think there. I I know in I don't know about Ellie because I haven't seen it, but in the other three films, uh, there is little to no music unless it's just someone playing an instrument on the street as they're yeah. walking by or it, it, it's sound? not like sound that's from there's a word for it. Is ambient it, isn't it um uh, no is ex is the sorry there's a, there's a prefix sorry to be what do you okay. mean a film criticism term that we should know there's a, there's a term for that uh, but matt's looking it up diegetic and non-diegetic sound Di- yeah that's it diegetic non-diegetic Aside from sound, you have a filmmaker in Damien Chazelle who is like ultra stylistic. Um, well, I wouldn't say ultra. I think Wes Anderson is a guy who like that is ultra. I think Damien is ultra. After watching Babylon and seeing him do this three times now, I didn't see First Man, so maybe that. But but I mean, yeah. Whiplash, La La Land. Babylon, there's just like an ultra stylized similarity between the three for sure. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> this is maybe going to be another discussion of semantics, but I view when I said ultra stylistic and I, you know, associated that with Wes Anderson, he, every single one of his movies looks the exact same and they feel the exact same. They talk the exact same. They make the exact same jokes. Whereas Damien Chazelle's have, has differences in the way the style is approached but all of his movies are stylistic. There's no denying that. I guess my point is they're all stylistic, um, whereas Asghar Farhadi's are also stylistic, but they're all naturalistic. Completely different than Damien Chazelle. None of his movies. Well, actually, I won't say that. First Man is somewhat naturalistic, but when you compare it to Farhadi, in no way. No way are they on the same... So, should we interject? I mean, I, people, listeners, 
no Bong Joon-ho because um, of Parasite and winning Best Picture. But I think, you know, many listeners do yeah. know Asghar Farhadi um, if they've uh, paid attention to the foreign language Oscar nominations or if they've seen his films. But I think of all the directors we're covering, he's probably the brief least well-known. Does someone want to give a very brief introduction to, to him and his movies? I realize we started talking about him and people may not even know his nationality and, and kind of what his films are. Yeah, very true. Aaron, yeah, you I, love I mean, Asghar Why don't you give it? I do. I think he's the preeminent um, Iranian cinema director of this time period. Um, there's a few others that are are fantastic. Uh, I think Iranian cinema has been uh, quietly exceptional for three or four decades, but it's um, it, it's really picked up steam. And I think Farhadi alone has uh, elevated uh, the level of of interest in Iranian cinema. I do think you know when they when you know cinema historians are writing the history of this time period, they're going to look at Iranian film and there's, there's a lot of directors who had Farhadi's style from the era before him and up through him. And from this point going forward, the, the new movies are all over the place stylistically. So he may be um, the latest, but also the greatest to, to have this sort of naturalistic style. And, um, and I think uh, his, his three most impressive films, and I think best reviewed films, um, although Cameron, you can well, yeah. verify hey, this. Me, you want me just, yeah, yeah you want me just tell yeah, you the top. Yeah, let me just I think it's, it's a hero, it. a separation and the salesman. It's gotta be those three. I'm pulling it up right now. Okay, so a separation is number one. Yep. Number two is about Ellie. Oh, interesting. And number th- okay, well, no, number three is technically a movie called Fireworks, which okay. none of us have seen. Um, but of his like bigger movies, I will say his number three would be uh, the Salesman. Yeah. Um, a hero, which is his most recent film. And sorry, I, I just want to, uh, sorry. Uh, I just want to say the reason I'm distinguishing fireworks from the salesman is because fireworks is a much smaller movie and far less seen and critiqued. So those have to be sort of appraised proportionally. Yeah. I mean, I think our, our rating system falls apart a little bit with foreign directors who aren't super well known in the US. I mean, I don't know how many, you know, Iranians uh, are ranking movies on IMDb, um, but I'm guessing it's far less than Americans and, you know, with Rotten Tomatoes, how many critics are watching these, you know, lesser films or less yeah. known films. But, you know, I think for his big films, um uh, particularly with a hero, um he he's now known and it, th- this this style of filmmaking where he takes uh, one or two central characters and examines them in depth but really in an almost slice of life kind of of way um you're getting this like this cutout of of human experience that's largely chronological and almost documentarian in nature. It it feels as if you are a passenger 
in the sort of proverbial car of these pe- people's lives where you're getting to see what's happening, but you're not intruding. And it's fascinating to, to experience a film that way, especially ones that are as intimate as he creates. And the stories tend to be um, ex- extremely relationship driven, um, in often man and woman relationship that is suffering some sort of trauma or or difficulty and and resolving that conflict between the two and i think that's really his strong suit and and really all of all the movies i'm aware of deal with that issue matt how many of his movies i've only seen the salesman and and um a hero um which so of the top three which the other the third is about ellie which neither of you have seen i'll focus on salesman and hero which one did you like more honestly in my mind because it's been a while they've melded to this, the same movie even though they're totally different mm. i've now set through the course of our conversation i i'm remembering both much more clearly um i think a salesman stuck with me a lot more i liked the the concept and and, and like the various thoughts provoked by a hero um the salesman was more intimate and i think i think from why at least in my point of view and heart wrenching in a way, um, but you know, a hero had more sort of a more social commentary. I mean, more like a macro social commentary about it. Um, so I think like my mind liked, like intellectually, I liked a hero more, and then like emotionally, I was more drawn to a salesman. Yeah, I think that that that's exactly my point of view as well. Yeah, I mean. Um... I'd be remiss to not raise a separation since it won best foreign film. Um, I think a separation is probably the most um, well-crafted film that he's ever made. I think the salesman is my favorite. Um, The salesman is this like uh, play within a movie (laughs) where there's, um, you know, this death of a salesman being put on, as a as a theater production and as you mentioned in in our we we kind of been throwing around a lot of different ideas about his films but you know that there's this assault that happens between uh, two cast members who are a couple and um and i think that movie is as you said cameron the most ambitious of his films that i've seen um i think he succeeds um and I, I think it's it's a really uncomfortable film, and it's it's a study of masculinity, and I think actually all of his films are a study on masculinity. Mm-hmm. They're a study on what it is to be a man, what it means to try and um, and uh, be a, a a modern man in a patriarchal society in a society that struggles with you know. Uh, gender identity not in what is your gender but how do i identify as a man when i have these strong feelings and and the salesman was particularly um well done on that front because i think it it highlighted this kind of artistic bent where there's almost a more progressive there is a more progressive view of life in this conservative place but there are still all these conservative overtones and this progressive man who's an actor is still faced is a confronted with this like 
extremely challenging situation where he feels a, a desperate desire to be chivalrous to to well, do brings out his, like primal instincts almost. yes to, yeah. to be you know honor is like part of the conversation it's 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 but it's, it's so powerfully done i think the done. thematic twist there and is is applicable to i think almost all societies though maybe it's controversial to say is that you know these pressures that you see on the on the main the male protagonist to do something primal defensive aggressive maybe even violent because of what happened to you know his loved one um, that's not coming from society societal pressure so much i mean he's like in the most kind of progressive pocket in his overall society and it's coming from within like there's this this primal biological um emotional human thing that comes up and you see him sort of just struggling it's subtle like it's not there no there's no dialogue about it really it's just where where he it's interesting because you can see him kind of bristle at wanting to act this way and then we as an audience know that like he's he's not wrong at all to want to act this way maybe he'd be wrong if he didn't so it's just all this tension and, and pulling your mind and, and and feelings in different directions it's it's Farhadi's take on Taxi Driver. I mean, think about it. It's a yeah. guy who's confronted with a female assault. And one is a very American, pulpy take on the story. And one is Farhadi's natural Fair enough. And I'm, I'm on this, like, anti-Paul Schrader <laughs> crusade at the moment. But but yeah. <laughs> but Travis Bickle, if, if that's I think it's his name. I mean, he, he yeah. was planning, like, thinking of assassinating someone before all this and then he goes out and then but he can't justify it so he goes out and finds in new york city where you can find a a wrong anywhere like this guy right i think that's what this makes i I think taxi driver is an excellent film um but i think this is a better film because what's interesting is like this guy does everything he can to like he moves to a safer place but not in a way that exerts his privilege or wealth he's like tries to do everything right yet because of just a small oversight in insecurity, this terrible thing happens to his wife. And then, I mean, he, so he's not going around town like hoping, concealing weapons with weird devices in his, in, on his person. And then, and then when he realizes he can't justify just straight up murdering someone in a park, he, he then goes and tries to find, you know, he, he goes up full. I'm sorry, this is a little bit controversial, but, um, What's I, I I forget what's the name of the movie that's really popular right now? Um, uh, oh, he goes he goes uh, he goes pure sound of freedom. Um, but uh, but like it's not right, it's not the right. trafficking that that provoked him. It's like he wanted to kill someone and no, then he found sure. a reason to do it. <laughs> for sure, it was a very thin thread. Good, but I like but, I like talking about this, um, and I'll stop. I, yeah. It in in. Um, hopes of keeping this podcast at a reasonable time length. We need to move on, but we have not talked about Damien Chazelle at all, and he has to be discussed um, because I think I may be the only one who is going to defend him against Farhadi at least, um, but maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, maybe let me be a little bit more explicit. I will give... I will do something I think we haven't done yet on this showdown. I'm going to vote for Damien Chazelle, and I will tell you why. 
Asghar Farhadi is a excellent filmmaker. He is a master. I think Damien Chazelle is also a master. I think he is very young. And I think, just like Greta Gerwig, he has a lot to show us. His movies are just so incredibly yes, entertaining. Well, with an exception. Uh, that is a game changer for me. You know, I, I think I'd use that as sort of a um, sort of a tiebreaker in the past. If if there is a filmmaker or a movie or two movies that I think are equally as good, and in this case, filmmakers who are equally as good, but I can watch, you know. Indiana Jones a hundred times more than I can watch Schindler's List, then I'm going to say Indiana Jones is probably my favorite movie. Um, if we're doing a sort of Thunderdome showdown. So that's my initial pitch on Chazelle. He is just a master, um, super engaging and super entertaining. I agree with those three points that he, I, I, I will call him a master. He is super engaging and super entertaining. Not without fault. Well, not without course, fault. <laughs> not immaculate. I don't know if Aaron has thoughts on this. I feel like you were about to say something, though. Matt. Yeah, I thought you were. I, I thought do, you had more I'm to waiting. say there, but I, I, I think, I think for for. Um, uh, okay, so my experience with Damien Chazelle is I've seen his first two films, Whiplash oh, and La La I'm, Land. I'm sorry. Should I let me let me just say what his yeah. top three are? Sorry. Well, we know it. Off. It's got to be his right? three. Isn't is is. Yeah, it's got his first three because Babylon was poorly. Oh reviewed. yeah, you're right. You're right. So, um, I think um, I, I have seen the first two. I did not see First Man, and I saw half of Babylon. <clears throat> I am going to finish Babylon. What I saw of the first half of Babylon was not as inspired as his first two films. I think Damien Chazelle has two masterpieces, but is not a master. I think he is um, he is a supreme talent who has the ability to make great film. I'm just not sure that he has the scope to make great film out of his wheelhouse. Maybe one day he will. Right now, I'm seeing um, a director who maybe is lost in his own shadow, and that's kind of complicated. Because you've got to figure a way to break out of that. And Farhadi's not suffering from that at all. Um, Bong Joon-ho is not suffering from that at all. Greta Gerwig is not suffering from that Bong at all. Bong Joon-ho could and Greta Gerwig could since they've had like recent spikes. Bong Joon-ho has had a long Maybe. horizon. I mean, he just barely made the cut yeah. for criteria yeah. time-wise. When I listen to Bong Joon-ho talk, it's like listening to Scorsese. It's like I, I it, he's he's just he, he's I don't feel like he he seems impervious, whereas I don't get that sense when I listen to Damien Chazelle, and I, I get it. He's are we young. talking about his his interviews, or are we talking about his movies? Both. Oh, okay. I, in this instant, I'm talking about his interviews, but in his oh. movies, it's it's reflected in his movies. Oh, I so I mean, I. I didn't know when if you were I, saying listening as like metaphorically with his. No, no, no. Oh. Literally hearing the the human being speak, he's he's the the he does not have the same level of confidence about his own filmmaking in his interviews that Bong Joon Ho has. 
I, I I've only Is that listened playing to into your decision making here. Oh no, what? I'm just oh. telling you, you that, that some stringent. Uh, uh, are you going to reply restrictions to how Aaron um, appraises? No, no, I'm just cu- I'm curious. <laughs> you, I don't you think you had it's... a similar one in the previous matchup, and I, I'm just I like this process. Aaron doesn't watch movies. Well, he I mean, I... to movies. You must <laughs> quiet yourself, close your mind's eye, and open <laughs> your heart. If you're not meditating, you're not doing it the right way. <laughs> I, I I think I I think Giselle may break out of whatever slump he's in, but I do think he's in a slump and I think he's in a slump. That's partly, um, uh, this kind of, um, uncomfortable place where I think the expectations are super high and he's trying to fulfill those expectations. And that's tough. That's a tough place to be. And I don't see that with any of the other three directors. And, and that does impact my view on, best director of the 21st century i i don't i don't know if we can say i mean we can say but i i i don't think i agree that damien chisel's in a slump i'd have to see what his next movie is i think babylon this is what i was hitting at earlier babylon was an absolute misfire um i really dislike the film on the whole but not not enough like if i passionately hated the film i would like think to myself maybe there's something he did that stirred me up and then, like in a year, I may turn around and say that that was actually a work of genius. That's not going to happen with Babylon. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it was awful at times, and I don't mean because I was like because of the weird underbelly stuff that was happening, or or imagery, or elephants taking a crap or whatever. But um, it's more there. Babylon had moments of brilliance and some set pieces that were top notch mm-hmm. I mean Aaron when you fly I hope you, I hope you're flying you know to Europe or or to you know Japan or somewhere because you need a ton of time to watch that movie and you know Oppenheimer can be three hours and get into that later but but th- this movie was more than three hours um and just just dragged on and on it was so self-indulgent much of it was a rehash of La La Land, in my view. I get he was trying to do variations. Even some of the scoring is actual variations of La La Land music. Um, but um, it just it was above his ability to try to speak for that whole pre-code Hollywood era and try to say something of note. And I think it wasn't society or the industry that pushed him to do that. I think, you know... He 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 punched way above his weight and and um, should have kind of taken a smaller bite. Can I make a can I make it an I, th- this could either be Chazelle's inherent vice and he goes on to make many more masterpieces or it could be his lady in the water. <laughs> <laughs> where, and and I, I don't think that's the case. I'm not trying to diminish it, but there's like a a weird scenario where, you know, like someone like M night Shyamalan really, in my view, peaked at the very beginning. And it was just been this kind of pretty gradual decline. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a, the trajectory was clear for me. I, I, again, I, I'm not speaking about any one film that might, you know, deviate a little bit from the mean, but the, the trajectory is downward. Whereas with, 
PTA. It's just he decided to do a project that I, I, I tried to watch Inherent Vice. And I mean, I think it's probably probably there's a good film somewhere under there. But it's it's meandering. It's sort of uh, in a, it's it's you know you're in a kind of mental mist the whole time, and that's probably purposeful. But it just didn't quite work. And um, but I mean, he turned around and made fantastic films afterwards. Many fantastic films. So I, I I don't think we know we know for sure yet. Maybe Chazelle is just like this was a hiccup. Maybe not. Also, I was say Inherent Vice though. It, it doesn't resemble any of PTA's earlier films. It's like an experiment a little bit. Or a genre shift, whereas Babylon absolutely resembles La La Land. It's just like sort of a grotesque elongation of it. Um, I don't know if I would say Inherent Vice doesn't resemble his other movies. Punch I would just Love, say maybe. I, I think both of their movies, or both of those movies respectively, are their styles and interests turned up to 11 and like it's it's almost like the reins were let go and they just went hog wild and were like way too self-indulgent and they both well pta pulled back from that and showed a little bit more restraint to the point where he's now preaching that movies should be like an hour and 45 minutes where and you're like, wait a minute, you, dude! You directed Magnolia, like five <laughs> movies that are over two and a half hours long in their masterpieces. So it's like, I think after that movie, he made a conscious effort to say, "Whoa, I am not, I'm not losing control again." One thing I do want to point out, which is, and this is where I think this showdown has its faults as well, is that. We technically ranked these people on their top three movies. And Babylon is not one of those top three. Now, I don't think we shouldn't discount that when we're considering who is like a better filmmaker. But um, you got to go see First Man. Yeah, you're right. That is technically, Babylon is not in this. First Man is. And First Man is so different than his other three, technically other four movies he had a small um independent movie really small like basically a student film um but of his hollywood productions totally different anyways i I, those are all great points i think taking babylon in consideration is needed i think especially because it's his latest film i think because it's his latest film because it's the one he poured the most resources everything you know it's like a it was to be a culmination, but I I, I I refuse to say he's in a slump because, I mean, you have three solid, not just solid, but three great movies in a row from what I hear about First Man. And then you have a, you know, a, a misfire because of, I think, ambition that's unrestrained. It's hard for me to call that a slump. Let's put it to a vote. So I will go first since I've already basically said it. I'm voting Damien Chazelle. Oh, it's Farhadi for me. Farhadi for me as well. Farhadi. But I appreciate it. That's a great stand you All took. Right. Farhadi takes it two to one. <laughs> I know. I tried. That leaves us for our final showdown. Askar Farhadi versus Bong Joon-ho. I think we kind of all expected yeah. this to be the final <laughs> showdown. I didn't expect um, it to take this long to get here, but I, I've enjoyed the ride. Well, yeah. Well, we've talked so much about both of them already, so I don't think it'll be much longer, but... 
I do notice the a, an interesting theme though. Um, basically, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling have lost, <laughs> and the non-Margot Robbie <laughs> Ryan Gosling movies have seemed to rise above. Um, there is a Gerwig and and um, Chazelle have utilized those characters. Those not characters, but Margot actors. Robbie was almost in La La Land. I think we are going to get some Chucky style visitation with like a mix of Harley Quinn and Barbie murdering us in the night because of this. <laughs> so if you read about that in the news, you understand what we how we invoke that 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 demon. Um, yeah. So how do, you know what? How should we distinguish these two? I I know how I will, but I want to hear what you say. I want to know what you say. <laughs> we've talked. We've talked through. I think their films. So let me just get down to brass tacks. I think, I think Bong Joon Ho takes the cake here, and I'll explain why. While Farhadi is a master, his range is limited. Now, maybe his range will one day expand, but at the moment, you know, I've watched three Farhadi films, and they're distinct in every way that you can make a story different, but not necessarily change the style and not necessarily change the themes. So there's this kind of consistency that, that shows up. So I, I go into a Farhadi film and I know what I'm going to get. I don't necessarily know what the plot is going to be. And I don't necessarily know uh, how the story is going to weave its way to its final conclusion, but I, I know the catharsis I'm going to feel. I know the emotional Style. attachment I'm going to have with the characters. I do not have that with Bong Joon-ho at all. He is um, much more... Uh, he keeps you on your toes. He keeps you on your toes. He's, he's, also, he's also just, the, in terms of filmmaking, there is something to be said about um, what you can do visually... And in terms of, I, I think Farhadi is a master of filmmaking. However, I think Bong Joon-ho is not only a master of filmmaking, he's also a, a master of entertainment. It, he, he, does, he crafts a movie um, beautifully uh, in a modern way with the kind of lighting and, and style that um, is special and, and yeah, cinematic. Iconic. Yeah. yeah, iconic cinematic. It's got, all, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's some shots from Parasite that look like they're from like an architecture picture book, you know, like yeah. something that would sit on a coffee table. Um, and and there's some long scenes in Memories of Murder where you're, you're you feel like, you know, th- it's like an old western almost, where you're you, you know you're like looking into the eyes of the character and there's like very subtle movements that are this this is the kind of stuff of masters that um, it's just at another, another level. And, and Bong, Shu, Bong Joon-ho, I'm, I'm confident will go down as a top 10 director all time, uh, when he's done with everything. So it, it's hard to beat someone of that level. Yeah, I basically agree. I, and he is endlessly entertaining. One other thing I want to throw out there is I am inspired to go and watch films, more films from everyone, but Farhadi. So that mm. says something to me too. Like mm. I have a mental cue going on and high on that cue is the host and mother 
and go oh, into what you're saying. Yeah. So like, I'm really excited about yeah. going to see maybe even the First Man. I don't know their movies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. First Man, it, it's on there. It's on. It's at the <laughs> bottom, but it's on there. Yeah. Um, but none of the Farhadi films are calling to me. I, I've seen the trailer for About Ellie. I, I kind of know it's what about it's about. Ellie. I'm, I'm not that interested. Yeah, <laughs> and we all know what it's about. So, <laughs> so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that that does impact my my feelings as well. Like I, I'm, I'm not drawn to Farhadi. I just know that I need to watch his films, and that's a different emotion. I think Farhadi opens a window into intimate relationships, social fabric. Um, for him, so far, it's always been in the same place now a a large place an entire country um in the iranian context um but he has taken me to these places that i've not been bong joon ho is like he's an oppenheimer he's a world shaker he um changes the the face of culture he as an individual viewer totally scrambles my paradigm within watching a movie just uh, changes my expectations about what 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 am i doing what is this movie about well, i don't even know what i expected one thing it's something different but it's not just parlor tricks it's there there's purpose to it there are living characters and every bong joon ho movie i've seen man that guy can end a movie um there are people who have you know m night Shyamalan has the, the ending and that's sometimes <laughs> and that's it but Bong Joon-ho has like has, builds entire structure around that where he wants to land it but every, every moment um is is engrossing and entertaining so yeah I, I saw this list and I I don't know I figured you all would land the same place but it, there's just no contest for me who stood out on this list and who stood out from all of the directors who began their features in the 21st century. Okay. I think it's pretty, pretty clear that we all vote for Bong Joon-ho as the winner of the best director of the 21st century of the four of the 12 directors that we brought to the table. But I think that's a pretty legitimate winner. I'm very comfortable. Yeah. Very comfortable. We love you, Bong Joon-ho. Please like, and subscribe. We, we, we hope you're listening. Drink athletic beer. (laughs) (laughs) all right well there you have it bong joon ho is our favorite director of the 21st century um we'd love to know what you think about our rankings and about which directors you think should have advanced over others we'll be posting all eight directors on our instagram and twitter until next time peace